That was not planned. It was not my kid either. So this is sort of great kind of set up for the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I was greeting a family at the 815 service and they came in kind of looking like they were kind of glad to just get there uh, this morning. And um, they were matching a couple in their 30s. And I said, oh, how cute you guys match. And the husband said, the baby puked on the first outfit. That was sort of the lead in. So maybe you can, maybe you haven't had that exact experience today, but maybe you can relate to a, to a, you know, just kind of being here. I'm glad you're here. And uh, to uh, the last, actually, in a series of sermons on the places where Jesus walked. And uh, Bethlehem, it was chosen specifically for today because of the dynamics of coming out of one season and into another. It's actually where, when we traveled to Israel, it was where we started. Uh, For us today, it's where we're going to end as we kind of transition into the Christmas season. What I hope is that you will discover today something that we discovered while we were uh, in the Holy Land, which is the place matters. It actually does matter to understand the place better. Uh, And I think understanding Bethlehem better does actually, not to overstate it, have the power to completely transform your experience of Christmas and the lead up in the next few weeks to what we're actually doing when we celebrate. And that it does matter that we remember and tell the story and not just go through the motions. And that that the place uh, actually tells us something. Bethlehem helps us piece together all of the threads of Scripture. One way of reading the Bible is to read it from Jesus out. You know, like, you go to, go to the, the start, to the, the, the center of the story, and then, and then understand everything before and everything after through that. And, and so it starts in a lot of ways. And Bethlehem, and Bethlehem as a place, does connect all of those threads. And we're going to see that today. A little town of Bethlehem. And it is a place where the hymn gets it right. Bethlehem is a small place, and that is central to the story. In the time of Jesus, Bethlehem was about two or 3,000 people. It was a little village. Uh, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. So maybe it's where the bakery was. I remember going uh, outside of the town uh, of town in a little place in Mexico uh, where the bakery was and where they, they fired the, the, the oven like they had for thousands of years and made the most amazing Colorados. And it was like, like heaven, like it was worth the trip. And Bethlehem was maybe like that, a little suburb outside of Jerusalem, six miles, uh, but the place where the bread was made. And um, it is still a small place. It is about half the size or less uh, than Bowling Green now. Uh, so the hymn gets it right. And uh, it gets the right, right the part that, uh, of that hymn that has always stuck with me, the hopes and fears of all the years. That is not an overstatement. It is the intersection of the story of Israel and the story that comes after uh, the story of the church. And so in a lot of ways, Bethlehem is like a character in the story itself, not a little town that has a sort of uh, no significance, but it has a backstory of its own, and the meaning uh, of that helps us understand the story itself. So let's start with the basics. Where is Bethlehem? Here on the, the map, there's an ancient map, actually, uh, and you see the, the, some of the names of the places that you'll read about in the Bible. But if you go to the middle at the bottom, there's the Dead Sea. Uh, I've shown you a lot of maps. Some of you will not miss this after this Sunday is over. But uh, at the Dead Sea, the, then the line up the middle is the Jordan River, and the Sea of Galilee is uh, up there at the top. 
Uh, and uh, so Bethlehem is on the western side. It is uh, currently in the West Bank. That's what we call it, the West Bank of the Jordan. So it is in the, the West Bank. It is in Palestine. I don't know if you realize that. But Jerusalem is in Israel. We'll see this in a second. Bethlehem is in Palestine. And even in those dynamics, we get something of what's going on even in the world today. Jesus was not born into the middle of where it was happening. Micah gets at this dynamic. In Micah 5.2, we read, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small, a little town, though you are small uh, among the rulers of Judah, out of you will come uh, for me one who will be a ruler over Israel. Bethlehem is a place that is insignificant, and yet significant things happen. And one of the threads that, <laughs> that we will find in the story of Bethlehem is that there are unexpected people brought into the story. One of the threads we're about to see is that it is a humble place, and those humble origins matter. And one of the things that we will see here uh, in, in the life of, and then on in, on in the life of Jesus is that the things that we think set us up for success actually don't in God's story. And conversely, the things that we might think are obstacles also aren't obstacles. They actually set us up to be ready to encounter what God is doing. We see that in Bethlehem. The shock that, uh, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and to Mary is captured in Mary's song in Luke's Gospel where Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. That humble estate or that reality, uh, that word is kind of cho chosen carefully, but estate being uh, also the physical reality of the place where Jesus was born. If you look at the map today, this is the last map, I promise. Some of you will miss them, some of you won't. But you see the modern version of this and you see Bethlehem circled in red, what you see there is the, the dynamic that I told you. The West Bank is in the darker brown, and then Israel is in the lighter brown. Uh, so um, Bethlehem and Jerusalem are separated currently. In the time of Jesus, they were not, but they currently are. And so the next picture shows you how. There's a wall all around that West Bank territory. And so that wall cuts between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. It's only six miles, but you can't just go there. Uh, when, we, when the war broke out, that security checkpoint uh, was shut down. Uh, we were there just ahead of the war. So this is where we came to first, October 4th or so. Uh, and then we left on, fr on Friday before the war broke out on Saturday. So we were in Bethlehem, kind of in the West Bank, operating in a way that we were not going to be able to just a day later. It's sort of an interesting dynamic. And that checkpoint uh, has, is in a wall that you can tell is not something that you just cross. There are people with machine guns there. And um, so if you are on the Israel side of that, you call that wall the security wall. If you're on the Palestinian side, if you live in Bethlehem, you call it the separation wall. And there again, we get at the, how complex these dynamics are with Bethlehem smack dab in the middle of it. Bethlehem currently is an insignificant place. It is economically depressed. It was sort of a shock, in fact, to, to fly in, drive in, and expect this to be a quaint little town. It is not. Uh, there's trash everywhere. There are buildings half constructed. 
Uh, people who are, are, you know, it's sort of like the brain drain. If you grow up in Bethlehem, your economic prospects are elsewhere. So Bethlehem, even today, is an unresolved place, an insignificant place, a place of powerlessness. And I don't think that's peripheral to the story. I think that tells us something about the story. And so let's get at that, the, the dynamics that I spoke of earlier. Well, unexpected people and chosen in unexpected ways. The story of Jesus goes uh, into the long history of Bethlehem. We have a picture here of Ruth. This is an artist's description of Ruth and Naomi. Naomi, who was from Bethlehem, and her daughter-in-law, who was not from Bethlehem. And so uh, when all of the men in their life die, uh, and Naomi says to Ruth, go back to your people. And, Naomi, and Ruth says to Naomi sort of famously, no, your people are my people, and I'm gonna, your God is my God, and I'm going to stay with you. And out of that act of faithfulness, God uh, uses Ruth to save the family and actually to be a, a great-grandmother to King David. It is a transition point out of very humble origins into something great. And um, that, that's the story of Ruth that happens in Bethlehem. We also know that King David comes from Bethlehem, out of that, that lineage, out of that family line. But uh, it's interesting how that plays out too. You may remember the story that the first king of Israel is chosen for, uh, we actually you know, preached through this not too long ago, is chosen for some specific um, qualities. That in fact, the people were longing for a king because they wanted a king like the other nations had who was able to be impressive, to, to lead us into battle. So tall, dark, handsome, great leader, natural choice. The, the person that you would look to in the room and expect to be the guy, that's King Saul. But it wasn't going very well, was it? And so God sends the prophet Samuel to this little insignificant place called Bethlehem and to choose the new king. And you may know, just to make sure we get the point, how that selection process goes. They go to the house of Jesse. Jesse starts parading all of the sons in front of Samuel, and it's none of them. So just to make sure we get it, this humble person chosen for the exact opposite reason that King Saul was chosen for, not, not despite his humble beginnings, but because of them. You know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about this in his book, Outliers. Anybody read that book? Uh, you may remember that this is, in the book is sort of like about kind of unexpected things or how things line up. And uh, he's talking about the immigrant population in the United States. And they've, they've looked at and kind of saw this trend where second and third generation immigrant families had, uh, had people of prominence, not just worldly success, but had, had achieved something, professional achievement, and had become pillars of the community. And they looked into it and discovered that there was, there was something about that. And the way Gladwell uh, writes it in the book is that we discovered that they became who they were, not despite their humble beginnings, but because of them. And Bethlehem is that. And it is that for Israel, but it is also that for the church. These are our beginnings. God is choosing people and doing things very intentionally the opposite way that we expect. So then connect the dot here. Jesus, his opening words, his first sermon, the, the, the compilation of his, of his best work, his greatest hits, the Sermon on the Mount, begins with the Beatitudes, blessed are. 
and then goes through a list of things that we think are humble beginnings, humble origins, things that would disqualify us from what God is doing. And what he wants to say is the, the Gladwell point. God's work in us is not despite those things, but through them, because of them. And I think that's because, and maybe, maybe you feel this way too, like we will always naturally gravitate to the opposite. We think that there's something about ourselves or our lives or our story that will disqualify us from what God is doing. We will have the list of things that we think means that we are somehow outside of God's saving work, not just in us, but also through us. We will undersell ourselves, oh little town of my life. Am I wrong? Don't we all do this? And I think it's, 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 then it's not a, a side thing. It's actually very intentional that God chooses certain places and certain people in a certain way so that we keep being reminded of how God works and how God intends to work in us. I think the danger is that we will sell ourselves short, but God does not. And so uh, we see that in the story of King David as, as Samuel picks the runt of the litter <laughs> to be the man after God's own heart. A thousand years later, Joseph, a descendant of David, as we heard in the, the scripture reading this morning, needed to travel back to his hometown of Bethlehem. And when he gets there, there's no room for them in the end. We know the story. You may not know this version of the story. This next picture helps us understand why it was actually the origin of the the him silent night. Don't be mad. I said I was sorry. I should have made reservations. Talk to me, Mary. 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 I'm fine. I don't know. That's probably not in the Bible, but... Okay, so some things about that. So the next picture shows you uh, those dynamics. So this is a cave. It's actually in the shepherd's field, which I'll talk about in a second. But it is indicative of the caves in the area. Bethlehem is a hilly place. So when you picture the Christmas story, don't think flat. Think tourists not being able to walk up and down the hills because it's, it's just it's, it's steep. And um, when those uh, shepherds leave this place and go to the spot where Jesus is born, they're going uphill just sort of helps you, helps you picture it a little bit. Uh, and there were a lot of these kinds of caves. So what people would do was build their, their stone structure house uh, connected to the cave. And, um, and so there might be two rooms, typically two rooms, one the main room, one would be the guest room. And that word guest room is what Luke uses when he says there was no room for them in the guest room or in the inn. It's not a separate structure. It's not a wood structure. It's just the other room connected to the cave. And the cave would be where you would put the animals at night. It's the, the barn or the, the, the holding area for the animals. Um, and it, you would do that because then you could keep the animals safe. It's a natural structure. It's a cave. So they show, kind of put the sheep back there and uh, then let them out to, to forage during the day. So perhaps when there are so many people traveling to Bethlehem, there's not uh, this sort of like your house at Thanksgiving, maybe. You only have so many beds and, you know, what they say about house guests, you know. They, it's, so the, the, rooms are, the, the rooms are full. The guest room is full of the, the cousins and the second cousins all piled around on the floor. And that's not really the best place to give birth to a baby. But the quiet, sort of isolated cave in the back 
would be. And then, so that's probably where Jesus was born, in a cave like that. So um, that probably was in the spot that now has the, is, is basically the oldest church in the Holy Land. So the history is that by 135, uh, after the birth of, of Jesus, there was uh, a consensus that there, there was uh, actually people going to a certain cave to commemorate where Jesus was, was born. And how that got preserved was um, the Romans saw that, uh, and so a pagan temple was set up in that spot, and this is, is the spot uphill from where I just showed you in Bethlehem, is the Church of the Nativity, and it is the oldest church in the Holy Land. And uh, it was built by Constantine's mother, Helena, who went to the Holy Land and actually tried to preserve all of the spots and built churches there. Uh, And this is the only one that wasn't destroyed. I said last week that um, Jerusalem has been attacked 52 times in its history. And so a lot of those original buildings were destroyed, but this one wasn't. And uh, it's because in the 7th century, when the Persians came through, they tore down most of the churches. But they went into the Church of the Nativity, and in the artwork there, they saw something. They saw wise men from the east depicted on the walls, Persians. They saw their own dress. They saw people who looked like them. And so the commander of the army said, maybe we should preserve this because we don't know what it is. And so just by happenstance, this church was preserved. So you see some some things about that. The next picture will show you the door. Uh, And the door, you can kind of tell, has some things going on. So you you see the original arch up at the top. That's uh, how you used to be able to get in when the church was built. But um, very practically, uh, so could large animals enter that door, camels and horses and such. So they... um, kind of made it smaller, and they, they've done that twice. Uh, and so the next video shows you what it takes to get into this church. Um, and um, you see my, my girls up there are not super tall, and they have to bend down to get in, of course, so then those of us who are taller do as well. Imagine having to bow down like that to come to church every Sunday. It is sort of a little reminder of the thing we've said about this little humble town. Bethlehem, that you have to humble yourself uh, to, to go in. And as you follow us in there, you see a very, very old church and another door into the main area there. And uh, you kind of see what, what that looks like. The next picture shows some of the artwork there up on the, the walls, so some of the original mosaics and on the floor. Uh, Most of it's covered up with wood, but there's a spot. And then those very, very, very old uh, um, pieces of art on the the columns there. So uh, the next picture is of the cave. So we stood in line for an hour and a half. It was hot, and we uh, were trying to remember that this is a spiritual experience. And and then we all of a sudden were going down these steps and into this uh, spot where the cave is. Now... You can see that's not the original floor, and there's a star there to mark the spot. There was a picture, that one earlier was Pastor Lara there, kind of, so millions of people have come and touched that star. Uh, And then um, over to the side uh, would have been maybe the manger, and there wasn't, um, there's not a manger there now, but we found one um, in Tel Megiddo, another place, and so the next picture shows you what that manger might have looked like. You'd see it just hewn right out of the stone and up, up taller, and so in that spot, there were mangers like at each horse stall um, that way, 
And it actually does look like a place where you could stick a baby and they wouldn't, you know, they'd be relatively safe up there. Uh, the next picture is of that turning around where the manger would have been, but you see, you see what it looks like. It's just a cave, um, just grotto little area there. And that is the spot where we think Jesus was born. Uh, and it's pretty powerful to, to walk into that spot. If truthfully, it's a little overwhelming. I was kind of in shock still. We were sort of getting our bearings of the place. Um, and, but it helps to see it. It helps to have been there for sure. Okay, so in a similar way, I showed you the cave earlier of the, the, um, the this called the shepherd's field. And the shepherd's field is where the, the shepherds would have been. But when you think field, you don't think flat. You think it's really, it looks like a valley. So it would be kind of cool to think of the, you know, like caves going down on both sides. It's more like an amphitheater with shepherds in, 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 on both sides of a valley. And then the whole sky and like in the round almost filling up with angels giving glory to God. The next picture is of that area, just kind of shows you kind of what that looks like. You can see so far over there on the other side of the valley. So all of that down below um, being the shepherd's field. It's a really, it's a really beautiful place. Uh, that, those little um, metal roofs there are from where uh, a monastery was set up, but then you see the field off in the distance. Doesn't, again, really look like a green rolling field where Mary had her little lamb, does it? Um, it is um, a stark place. So there at that church, uh, at Shepherd's Field, there's a church. And um, so we were able to go in. We were the only ones there. Our guide said, okay, if we get in there and we do this just right, we'll be able to sing a Christmas song inside there. And so we caught, caught that. And how usually when you catch like a group of people singing, um, you can, can't really hear the good people, but you can only hear the bad people, right? Or the bad singers. Uh, we didn't have any bad singers, I guess. Um, but actually, the, good, the, the, the singers were able to kind of stand out. And so you, you'll hear that, and you'll hear uh, Carla LaFontaine come in with some harmony at the end. We captured a little bit of that, so let's watch. In a short amount of time, we'll be in this room or the sanctuary singing about that silent night. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> the last picture is a, a picture outside of the, the hotel window of Bethlehem, so you can see it. And um, as I mentioned, uh, it helps you see um, the dynamics of the place. If you could zoom in, there is like there's trash on the ground. You can kind of see that. You can see some buildings that are really, really put together, and then next to buildings that aren't. And the the last night we were in Bethlehem, uh, the the innkeeper, the hotel owner, took us to the top of the hotel, and it was dark, and he just showed us the the perimeter. You could see all of Bethlehem everywhere you looked. He he shared, uh, you, you know, essentially to help us understand the lay of the land, and then he described what it's like to live there. That there's it's still a little town with no space. It's cut off in a lot of ways, so no no space for growth. 
uh, and um, the resources that are needed for survival mostly come through tourism. That in fact, the Christian community in Bethlehem has uh, the unique opportunity and really are the only ones who will be able to operate the tourism industry. There are people kind of holding down the fort there for us. And um, one of those folks is a gentleman that I met when I was in seminary 20 years ago. His name is Mitri Raheb. He is a pastor in Bethlehem. He's the Lutheran pastor there. And he was a visiting professor at Louisville Presbyterian Seminary. Uh, and so he taught a course or two, but he also took a course. And I had the privilege of sitting next to him as we took that course together um, for a whole semester. And Mitri had written a book, and that book is called I Am a Palestinian Christian. What I discovered then, which I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, was that I didn't really know that existed you know, in the, the way that it does, and, and the dynamics there that are complex. And he describes what it's like to have been raised in Bethlehem and those dynamics. So you could get that book, and you could read some of, of that. And um, I reached out to him while we were there. We weren't able to get together, but... I reached out to him while we were there, and he responded. And, and then, so what I've done, one of the things I've done is followed him on social media uh, as things have played out. And you could go, Mitri Raheb is his name. You could follow him as well. Uh, he, um, since being here in Louisville, started the Christian seminary, or, or university, I mean, Christian university in Bethlehem with a, um, an extension campus in Gaza. And at one point, uh, Mitri was... Um, describing one of their workers there and showed a video of him working with children in a hospital. And it was the day after that one hospital was, was destroyed. Uh, and he said, everybody in this video has died. So let me kind of wrap up. The, um, there, there was a real sense of relief when we came back from Israel uh, in fact, one of our crew took a picture of the American flag in the Nashville airport with a real appreciation for the safety of our country. And that is no, in no way diminished. In fact, in, I, I do appreciate our country probably more than ever. And at the same time, it would be easy to come back and celebrate Christmas and kind of you know, set up our nativity set and pretend like this is a story of the world being resolved. Uh, and sort of happy ending, and it's not that story. But it is a story of God coming into a world that is unresolved and making the point over and over and over again that humble beginnings are not actually an obstacle and human realities are not the obstacle that we think they are. And that unexpected people get, keep getting pulled into this, so the things that we think disqualify us don't. And, and mostly it reveals this is God's determination to come to the very places that are unresolved. Bethlehem being symbolic of each and every one of our lives. God's absolute determination to come right smack dab in the middle of a thing that just doesn't ever seem like it's going to get fixed and stay there. We call that incarnation. Love in the flesh. Love that comes right into the mess and holds that space of hope. The hymn gets it right. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in Bethlehem, but also, I think, in us.
And so as we prepare to celebrate, um, as we think of this holy child born in Bethlehem, as the hymn writes, I think it is appropriate for us to long in the way that the ages have longed for, uh, for a Savior, for a God who would be with us, and for the hope that comes when we see God's determination to come right in the middle of it. And that's the story we tell. That's the story that we celebrate. And um, we're going to do that over the next weeks. So let's pray together. As we think about those places in our lives and in our world and whatever you might want to pray for today that are unresolved, seemingly insignificant places that seem stuck or those places of just powerlessness. And the invitation today is to renew our hope for a God who comes into the midst of that. And as you pray, you might think of the ways that you feel like you are disqualified from the story. Or too much of this or not much of this or this unresolved thing that is in you that just so happens to be in every single person. It's called being human. Maybe you're reminded today that, that, that you're not disqualified or that those things are not an excuse. Mostly as you pray, you might give thanks for a God who seems so determined to never give up on us or on our world. That the surest thing we have in this is God's sheer will out of love. To come right into the middle of it and to stay there as long as it takes. God, we're thankful for this little town of Bethlehem that tells us about who you are and tells us about what you're doing even now. And as we come to a time of offering, may we offer ourselves and not just in word, but also in deed. We renew our commitment to walk where Jesus walked and to let love take us where it will take us. And to trust you as the one who loves and doesn't give up. And so may you enter the world in this way. And enter our lives in this way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.